Hello. Um, we do like a bit of jargon in financial services and especially with pensions. And some newer power planners out there may come across odd looking contracts from the past that they haven't seen before. So we thought we'd gather a potpourri of old pensions and explain what they are. And I'm very pleased to be joined by James, who will help us understand what they all mean. James, please introduce yourself. Okay, thank you, Richard. Uh, my name is James Jones Tinsley, and my full job title is Self-Invested Pensions Technical Specialist at Barnet Waddingham, based in their Leeds office. Uh, I've been in pensions since the very late 80s, so uh, yeah, I've, I've been around the block a few times and seen plenty of things. <laughs> yeah, that makes two of us, so we've kind of seen a lot of these things. So if you're watching this and, and there's something that we don't cover that you come across, and let us know, right? we'll always do another follow-up video to this one. So yeah. I'm going to start off with a couple of sections. So let's start with section 226, also known as retirement annuity contract. Okay, uh, they are the forerunner of the modern day personal pension plan and typically were taken out by self-employed people, including partners in a, uh, a traditional partnership uh, who weren't members of an employer-sponsored pension scheme. Um, there were one or two differences in their makeup compared with the modern day personal pension, but the basic premise was the same, that you effectively paid into it investment growth and your pension, depending on how big the pot was at the end of the day. A lot of those were set up with gross contributions, weren't they? And very limited fund yes. choice and often not in yes. trust either, were they? So death benefits were subject to HT as well. Yes, yes. I mean, there's certainly a lot of improvements now compared with the modern personal pensions of today. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's do another section then. How about section 32, buy up bond? Okay, or otherwise known as individual buyout bonds. And what these were effectively were almost like one person occupational pension schemes. And so somebody would leave a fine, typically final salary scheme back in the day because they first became available in the 80s. And uh, the idea was that they would transfer the uh, cash equivalent transfer value of their benefits in the defined benefit scheme into an individual buyout plan in their own name. Um, they can, depending upon their age, the older they are, the more uh, intricacies they can have within them. And I know we're going to come on to look at uh, guaranteed minimum pensions shortly, but uh, you could have GMP and you could also have um, issues with how much tax-free cash you could take from it. Yeah, if ever you come across a section 32, then some alarm bells should start ringing because you need to make sure you dig very deep to find out what's going on inside there because um, they can be all sorts of trapdoors you can fall through. Let's go with some acronyms and let's start with AVC. AVC, Additional Voluntary Contributions. Uh, as the name suggests, this was the ability for somebody in a defined benefit occupational pension scheme to pay additional contributions on top of any mandatory contributions that they had to pay personally into the scheme itself. And typically the ABC scheme sat alongside the defined benefit scheme and was offered by an insurance company. Um, investment options limited again with profits was, was a big uh, favourite at the time. And I know we're going to cover that shortly, Richard. Yeah, I, th I think I, I used to come across a lot of credential ABCs, particularly with things like yes. the teacher's pension scheme. They, they were very popular yeah. um, with those, weren't they? And a very slightly so. different version is the FSABC. <laughs> 
yes, freestanding additional voluntary contribution schemes, which, uh, given the uh, the title, suggests that what these were, these were uh, something that you took out yourself with, again, typically an insurance company, but it wasn't um, annexed to the main scheme. It was your own standalone AVC plan. So typically people would uh, take out a plan like that where they, I suppose, wanted a degree of confidentiality over the fact that they were potentially aggressively funding for their potentially early retirement. I think from memory, was there a 15% contribution limit into those back back in the yes. pre-OD world? It was um, a very tax-efficient way of saving for retirement, but you're right, Richard, it was a 15% uh, of salary limit. Yeah, and if you come across one of those now, they're, they're treated the same as a personal pension in terms of benefits yes. and what you can take out, so yeah. they're, they're affecting their personal pension fund now, aren't they? So let's, let's go with an EPP. Well, this is the uh, type of pension scheme I first cut my teeth on uh, in my days as a Scottish widow. And this was uh, executive pension plan, which sometimes you actually see referred to as a deferred SAS. And I know we'll cover SAS shortly, uh, but uh, typically it was uh, a trust based a pension arrangement set up, uh, occupational pension arrangement again set up for a key person within an organisation, could be the, the, the main director, um, and ultimately it was a, a effectively a, 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 another money purchase type of pension scheme, but clearly with all the inland revenue regulations built around it, but um, it was... Uh, in terms of the investment, I know the ones I was involved in in the 80s, there was a with profits one and there was a unit link one, but again, limited to the fund range of the insurance company that were offering it. Mm. This was back in the days when contributions were based on your salary and your service, wasn't it? And I know I used Correct. to set up quite a lot of EPPs for, for smaller companies because there used to be a de minimis limit, where I think it was £6,000 yes. a year. No matter what you earn, you could pay £6,000 yes. a year in. Com- <laughs> company contributions, corporation tax relief, and great little idea. Yes, absolutely. Oh, no, again, very a very tax-efficient way um, to save for retirement and also tax-efficient for the company itself as well. Yeah, I, I think they've pretty much died out now. I don't think I've set up an EPP definitely since A-Day came around. There's just no point anymore. Yeah. So, um, well agreed, yes. Yeah. Um, so they so were of their time. <laughs> so you, you've touched already onto this thing called GMP. Tell us a bit what that is. Mm. Guaranteed minimum pension. And this... Uh, the state pension scheme, the, the old state pension scheme, in 1978, there was an additional tier of state pension called SERPs, or the State Earnings Related Pension Scheme, which started in 1978, and it was therefore employees, and it was effectively like a second tier of state pension on top of the basic old age pension. But if you were in a defined benefit, typically final salary occupational pension scheme, there was the ability to contract out of SERPs and build an alternative pension within the pension scheme itself. And that was known as guaranteed minimum pension. And the idea behind it was it was meant to replicate the SERPs that you were giving up. And because you were not contributing to SERPs, both the employer and employee uh, didn't have to pay as much national insurance contributions. So it was a very popular option. And I would say most final salary pension schemes were contract, contracted out of SERPs, <clears throat> excuse me, in the late 80s going into the 90s. 
And you've got to have some quite older clients now because GMP is often split into pre and post 1988 versions and there's yes. different rules yes. on how that goes up. And you'll also find GMP in one of those Section 32 contracts we talked about earlier on. So yep. watch out for that. And quite often, if, if you've got a client whose state pension is not quite as high as you thought it might be, have a look back and see if they've been in a contracted out pension scheme at some time in the past, mm. because that's often the reason why. And there's some GMP lurking around somewhere. So complicated one, <laughs> yeah. that one. Um, but, but watch out for that one. So let's talk about benefits now. Let's have a look at a with profits annuity. What's that? Um, with profits annuities is a type of annuity scheme. And as the name suggests, you are actually investing in the annuity providers with profit fund. And they are arguably riskier than what I would call a guaranteed annuity or a conventional annuity, where you effectively give your purchase price to the annuity provider, and they then give you a certain amount of money for the rest of your life, regardless of how long you live. The with profits annuity, what happens here is that you actually effectively invest your purchase price into their with profits fund. And at the point of setting it up, you have to anticipate a bonus rate that the with profits fund is going to earn from one year to the next. And Broadly speaking, the higher the bonus rate that you choose, the higher the, if you like, uh, guaranteed de minimis amount you'll receive. But of course, the uh, corollary to that is the fact that then there's less chance of you uh, achieving that bonus year in, year out. And so there is the potential for your income from this annuity to actually rise and fall over time, depending upon the success of the Providers with Profits Fund. Yeah, I think they were one of the earliest examples of, of a sort of non-conventional annuity, where there was an investment element, mm. and annuities evolved a lot since then, but um, yes, that's still with profits variety. Well. You've touched on this already, so tell us what a GAR is. Guaranteed annuity rate, and this is usually sort of buried in and amongst all the terms and conditions of the uh, pension plan. Uh, they were very popular once upon a time with particular insurance companies who, whose names I won't mention, but uh, the idea behind it was that when you came to actually turn your pension pot into an annuity, then you were guaranteed a certain annuity rate. And I think what I would say now is as time has gone by and annuity rates have largely fallen over time, these have got more and more valuable. Um, you typically see them in with profits retirement annuity contracts. So those section 226 plans that we talked about at the beginning. And you also can find that with some providers, the guaranteed annuity rate actually increases with age. And also, in order to take advantage of the guaranteed annuity rate, sometimes you have to take it on a particular date. And it may also, from a sort of a structural point of view, be what I would call very plain vanilla. So single life, no guarantee, all the whistles and bells that you normally can add on to an annuity, you won't be able to do so in order to get the annuity rate. Um, my own personal experience, Richard, I once came across somebody uh, who had an old personal pension plan and it had a guaranteed annuity rate of 17%. Mm -hmm. And I said, you've got a very valuable benefit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think some companies were very big in this market and not mentioning them was very fair and equitable of you, I must say. Um, and so, <laughs> something to watch out for if you are paraplanning on these is that um, if you're going to transfer a, a pension contract that's got a GAR, that is a safeguarded benefit. Um, and there's a special uh, FCA permission you need to have to be able to advise on those. So make sure you've got one of those. And let's round up with one of your favourite topics. What's a SAS? 
<laughs> a small self-administered scheme. And uh, it is a type of self-invested pension along with SIPs. And these uh, are older than SIPs and became popular in the early 70s. The idea is that it is a pooled, uh, it's an occupational pension scheme with a pooled fund. And you are allowed to have up to 11 people within the scheme. Typically, it's the directors and key people within the company who become members are invited to become members. Um, it's a trust-based occupational pension scheme. And one of the main advantages of these is that you can actually use them to help the company to grow. There is the ability to purchase commercial property through the SAS. Most typically, the uh, factory or building out of which the company operates, and its USP, arguably, is that it, subject to a number of rules and regulations, you can actually make a loan out of the SAS to the sponsoring employer to give them the wherewithal to help expand the business. Brilliant. Yes, that was a very succinct summary of a SAS. There's a lot more to them, but uh, that was fantastic. Yes. <laughs> well, that, that was a quick run through of some of the older um, sort of uh, jargon-based contracts you might come across. If we've missed one out, please let us know, and we'll be happy to cover it for you. And I'd just like to say thanks to James and Barnett Waddinger for helping us Pleasure. through that poopery of old pensions. Thanks very much. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you.